You can be seated. You can be seated. Uh, glad to be here today um, and um, be here with, with y'all this whole week and um, being with uh, the Varsity Conference and uh, being able to speak into the lives of uh, the now generation, the up and coming uh, young people who are going to be leading the way, paving the way. I, uh, I, I, like he said, I've been pastoring now for about 13 years in uh, Crackama, Washington. It's, it's, it's not as beautiful as Coeur d'Alene by any means. You guys have trees on your mountains. We just have dirt. So we look at dirt every direction. And, uh, but I've been, I'm born and raised Yakima. So, uh, being able to pastor in my home city is, is pretty special. It has its pluses and its minuses. Uh, we've seen a lot happen over the last 13 years. Uh, I've been married for 18 years. We just celebrated 18 years this August, me and my beautiful bride, my better half. Uh, and uh, we just sent our oldest son off to college. So that is like a, when, when you're a parent and you send your oldest kid off to college, it's like, like you're, I, I see it in your face. Like, how do you have a kid in college? Black don't crack. Come on, somebody. So I'm 38. I'm, I I'm look younger than what I really am. So but my, my oldest son, he's in college. And uh, that's, that's a weird experience when you send your baby off. And he just didn't go like right down the road. He went to Alabama. So, like, he's down in Bama right now, uh, just hanging out in Alabama uh, at a successful church learning ministry uh, tools for his uh, future. And uh, so it's, it's, it's an interesting world. Uh, he's, in, he's in college, and then I have a 16-year-old and a 10-year-old at home with me. And uh, so this is my life, all boys. Uh, I've, been, I've been doing this thing long enough to where I've learned a lot about church, learned a lot about people. In my past, I haven't been saved uh, my whole life. I really didn't grow up in church. I lived a crazy life before Jesus. And so uh, my heart is really to make it impossible for people to not know him. Basically, we're going to eliminate any barrier um, so you can, you can see who Jesus is. And uh, I, I know that many of you may be invited here for the first time. Maybe a coworker drug you or a friend or a nagging mom or a nag nagging spouse. Someone said, I'm going to buy you lunch, keep their promise, make sure you, they get you that food and buy the most expensive thing on the menu. And let me just tell you, you don't have to believe to belong here. We're glad you're here. You're already family. So just get used to the hugs. Get used to the high fives. We're going to love the hell right on out of you because you mean the world to us. Come on. Can I get an amen from anybody? Uh, so it's my custom to pray before I preach. So if you can close your eyes and bow your head, that'd be great. Father God, anoint my lips and declare your word. God, let me speak the very oracles from you, the very words that proceed out of your mouth. God, I pray it falls on fertile soil. God, I pray we take this message to heart and we activate it for our life. God, I know there's many people here today that don't know you as Lord and Savior for multiple different reasons. Uh, some of it is maybe a fear of rejection from your love because of some decisions that they made or maybe because they have a, a view of you that isn't accurate. Someone represented you in a wrong way. Uh, God, uh, maybe they're here today and maybe they've had no need for you based on their knowledge because they found success without you. God, for whatever reason that is, God, I pray today they would see you as a loving, grace-filled, compassionate God who's got an extraordinary plan for their life. And by the end of this message, I pray that they would accept the invitation and receive you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray for those of us who love you, who've served you, who've abandoned all to follow you. Help us to live this thing out greater outside 
outside these walls than inside these walls. Help us just not to attend the church, but be the church. And God, I pray we would uh, be a light for people in dark places at our works, our houses, our, our, uh, our college campuses, our schools, in our neighborhoods. God, use us to spread your name and make your name famous throughout the earth. In Jesus' mighty name, someone say amen. amen. So I'm going to be preaching a message today that I've entitled, Rock This Way. Rock this way. <laughs> that was a good Aerosmith impersonation. Yeah. Sometimes we quote Jesus. Sometimes we quote Aerosmith. I'm just teasing. <laughs> but I'm going to title this message Rock This Way. And if you're taking notes, you could subtitle it Put Them Down. Put Them Down. Down. I'm going to be reading now the book of John, John chapter 8. For some of you who are first-time guests here today, you've got that little booklet. It's, you know, God set that up that I was going to preach out of something you can have in your hands and something you can go home and, and continue to read about. But the gospel of John is basically his account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And uh, he's given a viewpoint of what he saw going on. And he's, he's trying to demonstrate the heart of God. And these gospels are there to reveal to us the heart of our Father, the heart of God the Father, and what Jesus' purposes were to be exhibited throughout the earth. And so we see something, a story I'm going to talk about. For many of you, it's going to be very familiar. For some of you, it's going to be brand new. But there's a story in John chapter 8, and it reads like this. It says this, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Now, I'm going to pause right here to highlight this verse, uh, this verse that is very easy to pass by. Sometimes when you're reading scripture, uh, sometimes you can just ride right past a verse, never really taking into context the severity or the, 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 the controversy, the climate, the, the, the really the, the emotion that's happening. When I read the Bible, I approach it like a movie. I try to fill in the scenes and try to put myself right there. And so when I see this scene played out, here Jesus is, he's at the temple, which would be like a church, and he's at the church teaching people just like you and I. And all of a sudden, some religious leaders, they grab this lady who's caught in the act of adultery. For those of you that don't know what adultery is, it's simply having sex out of the context of marriage, which means one of the individuals that was caught, this woman or the man that she was sleeping with, was married had a spouse. So could you can only imagine now the spouse is finding out at the same time that everyone in the church is finding out that my spouse was cheating. So there's devastation either from a woman or a man because they realize that my family is being disintegrated right before my eyes. Not only that, but I would assume there's some kids involved. We don't see it in scripture. It doesn't really give us the context of how many kids are involved, but in the biblical days, they had a lot of babies. They were multiplying. And so I can only assume that there's some kids involved in this crazy, chaotic ordeal, and they're finding out that their mom, or they're finding out that their dad, and now they got to go back to school next week, and all the friends are going to be talking about, oh man, I'm sorry about what happened to your dad, and now they got to bear the consequences of someone else's choices. And in the context of the scripture, we would find out that this action, this action of adultery would be uh, a sin. It is less than God's best, less than God's best standard for our life. And so it would be classified as sin. And I'm not here today to pick on a sin, but just bring to the knowledge that this wasn't God's best for their life. 
And so here it is. It's a sin in the Bible, and there's many other sins that we can list, but for today we're just talking about this, and this sin, it's a big deal. So it is, it is missing the mark of God's glorious standard for our life. That's what this woman, and there's a man that doesn't get brought out, have just participated in. And not only that, but this woman was caught in the act, which means these guys busted in the door like the CIA, boom, like the feds. They kicked the door down. They grabbed this woman. This woman is naked. She probably hasn't had time. They didn't give her, hey, we'll give you five minutes to get dressed. No, they grabbed this lady. They, they, they grab her in the room, pull her out. She's probably barely grabbing some form of a blanket, something to cover herself. And she's now brought into the midst of a crowd, like here at the church, just thrown in the middle of the room. Can you imagine what she's feeling, the defeat and the shame and the all eyes on me type feeling that she's experiencing and what's interesting is that I think about the stories how'd they know how'd they know that she was committing adultery my theory is it was a bunch of peeping toms and they were there just trying to get a peep show. And then they realized, well, someone saw us getting a peep show. So we got to get someone else in trouble before we get in trouble. And that's what religion does. It always points out someone else's sin before we ever have to deal with our own. And so this is what they do. It's a, it's, a, it's a skill tactic that is still used in the church today. We're always going to point the finger at someone else before we really deal with what's going on in us. That's a whole side sermon. You can, that one was free. Okay. Uh, but then we see this pick up. Now, the reason why I'm stating that, because I want you to see that what she did was spiritually wrong, but it wasn't just spiritually wrong in this context. It was culturally wrong. In the context that she lived in, if you got caught in the act of adultery, it was breaking the law. And the penalty for that breaking of the law was to get stoned. Now, I'm not talking about Washington kind of stoned. I'm talking about a different kind of stoned. It's where you get rocks and they throw it at you. Not the stone you smoke, the stone you throw. And so here's this lady, she's brought out, and what her conviction, her crime, her guilty sentence would be these big rocks that were huge stones would get thrown at her until she died. And that's what was guilty of the crime. So she committed the crime. She was absolutely 100% guilty of this crime. She knew, I'm probably going to die today. They bring her out, they take her to the temple, and so this is the context. And I want you to see, someone say wrong. The reason why I want to bring this up is not to point out a wrong, but to state that there are times and seasons in our life where things happen that are wrong. Either they happen to us, they happen through other people, it, it, it affects us, there are situations that are wrong, there are things that are wrong, there are things that are just not right. You know, how your sister talked about you to your brother, that was wrong. How you got treated at work, that was wrong. How someone uh, judged you based on your age, based on uh, your, your, your education, based Based on your felon rap sheet, based on your skin tone, based on how many tattoos you have, based on purple hair, no hair, ear hair, whatever's going on. <laughs> how it happened was, say it, wrong. So here this woman is, what she did was, it was wrong in the eyes of God, it was wrong in the eyes of the land. And so here we are, verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. And then they ask him this essential question, what do you say? Now, this question that they're asking Jesus is the same question that the culture is demanding that you answer right now. What do you say? What do you say about NFL football, people kneeling or not kneeling? What do you say? 
What do you say about what the president's talking about and the stuff he's putting in the legislation? What do you say? What do you say about, you know, what that pastor's preaching this weekend at this church that they invited me to that I didn't sign up for because he ain't my pastor? Put the bald guy back on the stage. I don't like this light-skinned dude. What do you say? <laughs> what do you say about that boy that talks like a girl and got girl mannerisms and thinks he's wearing a dress but he's really a boy? What do you say? What do you say about that teenage girl that couldn't keep her legs closed and she got pregnant and now she's considering an abortion? What do you say? See, this is the essential question that our culture keeps throwing at you. And you might, you face it at work. You face it in the lunchroom. You face it at home. You face it on social media. CNN keeps asking you, what do you say? Uh, Fox News keeps asking, what do you say? Uh, Facebook keeps asking, what do you say? Instagram, Twitter keeps asking, what do you say? Uh, the phone calls that someone calls you has nothing to do with what you're living. Hey, what do you say? We got this girl at church, you know, uh, did you see what she was wearing? What do you say? <laughs> this is what they did to Jesus. How many people know we should do what Jesus does? Can we bring the bracelets back? WWJD, can we bring them back? What would Jesus do? <laughs> I think it's the fall of Christ. Our example is the fall of Christ. Come on, can I get an amen? amen? So guess what Jesus says? Nothing. Jesus blows my mind. Because if Jesus was in church today, we'd hate him. Come on, Jesus, say something. Stand up for Christianity. Stand up for the righteousness of God. Stand up for the law of Moses. Guess what he does? I don't know if you've ever felt this pressure, but I feel this pressure as a pastor. Because every single week, I got hundreds of beady eyes, just like right now. Hundreds of beady eyes just looking at me going, Pastor, what do you say? What do you say about Planned Parenthood? What do you say about these gay people getting married? What do you say about these teenagers doing drugs? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say about this Charlottesville racism thing? What do you say about Black Lives Matter? What do you say about Hillary Clinton? What do you say about Donald Trump? Everyone's looking at me. What do you say? What do you say? And guess what I do? I just follow Jesus. Come on. Come on. Yes, sir. That's good. Trying to follow Jesus. And then you're mad because I'm not saying what you... See, when you're saying what do you say, you're really not saying what do you say. We're saying, say what I want to say. You really don't care what I got to say. They don't really care what Jesus got to say. Matter of fact, Jesus catches it because Jesus is bad to the bone. He already knows what they were thinking. And so he says this. They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. People really don't care about what you want to say. They really just want to find something that you're saying so they can use against you. When your mama calls you to talk about your brother, she really is not interested in what you say. When your sister calls you to talk about, when the coworker talks to you about the other coworker, they really don't care about what you're going to say. They just want to know what can I use against you when I'm talking to the other person about you. The other Christian that's asking you the Christian, Christian thing, what do you say? They really don't care what you say. They just want to be able to say something when you leave to go, mm-hmm, see, I knew she was like that, you know. She need to read her Bible more. They're not, they don't really care about what you say. The enemy knows that loose lips get you into trouble. Which means we should follow Jesus' example and do the 11th commandment. Thou shalt shut upeth. Shut up. It's in the Bible. No, it's not really in there. But you should shut up. 
You know, we took this freedom of speech thing way too far. Some of you need your rights revoked. We need to take away your freedom of speech. You don't need to say everything you think. Just shut up. Just mm, zip it. That's why the Bible says, the Bible says it nicer. It says in the book of James, be swift to listen and shut up. <laughs> And slow to speak. What it's saying is, come on, everything you think doesn't have to, uh, it doesn't have to, uh. okay, let's get back to the Bible. And so they were trying to trap him into something they could use against him. But Jesus just stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Verse 7, this is how the enemy works. He doesn't stop. It says they kept demanding an answer. The culture's not going to stop demanding an answer. Your coworkers aren't going to stop. The people aren't going to stop. You're, you're, it's not going to stop, but that doesn't mean we respond the same way. So they keep demanding an answer. So Jesus stood up again, and he says, all right, but guess what? He still doesn't answer their question. In this whole context, Jesus never answers their question. He never gives them exactly what they wanted him to give them. Jesus doesn't do, deal with that because this is a side note. I didn't say this in any other ones, but you might want to take this down. Good leaders don't deal with problems. They deal with issues. If you look at the context of Jesus' life, whenever someone brought him a problem, he never dealt with the problem. He always jumps to the issue. I can prove it to you. There's a guy who's got a, man, a son who's a... a, a he suffers um, demonic possession. He would fall into the fire. Anyone remember this story? I had your disciples pray for him. They tried to cast out the demon. It didn't work. And while the dad's talking, the kid goes into convulsions and starts flinging around on the ground. Jesus. Now, if, if, if I was a parent and my son started going into convulsions and Jesus is there, I would expect Jesus to fix the son. That's not what happens. Jesus looks at the boy. Here the kid is going through an episode. Jesus goes, hmm. Does this happen all the time? Just goes back into conversation with the dad. Doesn't even address that the boy's flailing around. He's like, does this happen all the time? What's going on here? Like, uh, do you believe I can heal him? Yeah, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Okay, here's the issue. Because what Jesus wants to know is if I just deal with this problem, when he gets back home and the son has another episode, dad, you're not going to know what to do. So I got to address dad, not the son. I want dad, I want you to fix the issue. The issue is your unbelief. Let's fix your belief. We can deal with this later. See, God is never interested in problems. He's dealing with issues. As the body of Christ, our job is not to jump on every problem that happens. This isn't a race problem. This isn't a governmental problem. This isn't, that's a problem, but that's not the issue. The issue is a heart issue issue the issue is a grace issue the issue is a sin issue and God wants us to look past the problem to get to the issue and what these guys wanted to do was deal with this lady's problem not her issue so Jesus says okay let's deal with this issue then okay all right guys well um, whoever of you is qualified who has not sinned go ahead and throw the first stone he doesn't answer the question he, he proposes the question with another question. Okay, for those of you who are qualified, if, those, if anyone's qualified to throw the stone, go ahead and throw it. What Jesus was saying was, okay, I know this lady did something wrong. So this is what it looks like in our practical example. Like if you want to talk about the president's decisions, the only way you can talk about the president's decisions that you disagree with is the fact that you've never made a decision that you regret. 
If you've ever made a decision that you know, man, when I disciplined my kid that day, I was in the wrong. I shouldn't have yelled at him like that. That was the wrong thing to do. Okay, so if you've never done that, go ahead and throw the first stone. If you have, thou shalt shut up it. Well, you know, I don't like the way they're treating these people. Okay, cool. Well, before you throw a stone at those people, if you've never treated people based on what they look like, based on how they act, based on how they smelt, based on if they had a homeless sign, based if they were pregnant at a young age, based if they had saggy pants, based if they had big old gauges and dreads, based if you never looked at someone and thought something that you shouldn't have thought, go ahead and throw the stone, but if not, put it down. Last time I checked, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means none of us are qualified in this room to be rock throwers. Matter of fact, the stone should be thrown at us. Every single one of us, you are sitting next to a screw up. Sure are. You are sitting next to someone who has things that they've done in their life that they know are not the best decisions and they wish they could take it back. You are sitting next to someone who's looked at things they're not proud of. You're sitting next to someone who said things they wish they could suck back in their mouth. You're sitting next to someone who has lied, cheated, stolen. You're sitting next to someone who hasn't always been faithful to their spouse. You've sat next to someone who has done some things that they wish they could erase from their history, but they can't. All have sinned and fell short of the glory of God, which means we are the woman in the story. So Jesus says, okay. If you qualify, go ahead and throw it, and he kneels back down. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was the only one left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Here's my first point. I gave you a lot of points, but here's the real one. Just because you're right, it doesn't mean it needs a rock. Just because you're right, it doesn't mean it needs a rock. These men were 100% right that what this girl did was wrong. But what Jesus was trying to describe to them was, just because you're right, Pharisees, doesn't mean you need a rock. You don't have to throw rocks every time someone does something wrong or does something you don't agree with or does something that doesn't line up with Scripture. We're not in the rock-throwing business. That's not what we do. And Jesus says, just because you're right, you don't have to call your mom and talk about your brother. Just because you're right, as soon as your boss walks out of the lunchroom, you need to talk about him to your co-workers. Just because you're right, when that teacher makes a decision, you don't roll your eyes. Because, see, we throw rocks all the time. Many of you are like, I don't throw rocks. Oh, really? You don't do this? <laughs> Throwing rocks. You don't do this. You know, I can't believe how someone, you know, we just need to pray for her. We need to pray for her and cover her with the blood of Jesus. Because we, no, you're throwing rocks and trying to cover it up with Jesus. Don't do that. Like, some of you, you before you leave today, you're going to go into the lobby. You're like, I don't really like what that guy said. You know, he was up there. Who's that guy anyway? You're throwing rocks. So I'm just asking you, please put the rocks down, please. I don't want to get hit today. Just because you're right doesn't mean it needs a rock because if you're not careful you'll become the thing that you hate you'll say things like they don't respect anybody and what you're doing is not respecting them you'll say things like I can't believe they said that behind my back while you're saying that to someone else behind 
I can't believe they could be so judgmental, but you're, you're throwing judgment at the same time. See, just because you're right doesn't mean you need a rock. And that's what Jesus was trying to show these people. So what are you saying, Pastor? If I can't throw a rock, what do I throw? Here's what I would suggest. We don't throw rocks. We throw relief. I expect the world to throw rocks. I expect people of the world to not like me because of the context of my skin. I expect the world to say hateful things about people in leadership. I expect the world to say hateful things about churches and other churches. I expect the world to poke fun at people who have uh, feminine mannerisms when they're a male and masculine mannerisms when they're a female. I expect the world just to throw rocks at each other. I expect them to not agree. I expect Fox News and CNN to be in a constant war. I expect that that's the world. But we're in the world. We're not of the world we are not the world we are a kingdom we're supposed to act completely different we have been endowed and infilled with the holy spirit which means we walk different we talk different we respond different and we act different so that means the body of christ should do something different than what the world is doing and that's what jesus says he says hey guys uh, you guys want to throw rocks i'm gonna throw something different i'm gonna throw relief because the only person that was qualified was jesus to throw a rock he said if any of you have Without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. They all leave. Jesus is there. By the way, Jesus didn't have any sin, which means Jesus was qualified. And if Jesus says, hey, girl, you know, they all left, but guess what? I'm going to stone you anyway. <laughs> he could have done it. And he would have been 100% right. And his action would have been 100% justified. Because they're like, hey, Jesus, you know, in the book of Moses, it says this. And Jesus is like, hey, hey, dumb, dumb. I wrote the book of Moses. I'm the one that told Moses what to write. In the beginning was the word. I was the word. I was with God. I am God. I know all about the word. You ain't telling me something I don't know, Pharisees. Isn't that interesting? That's the church, right? We're always trying to tell Jesus something he don't know. <laughs> Got a lot of problems down here. Jesus is like, yeah, I already saw the end from the beginning. I know all about your problems. You can't tell me something I don't know. You are not surprising God with your knowledge. He's like, wow, I didn't know that. I did not know that. He is all-knowing. He knows everything. God can, let me, let me just say this. God can never get surprised. Like he will never say, I never thought of that before. God doesn't need Google. He's God. Here Jesus is, right? He's, he's there. He could pick up the rocks they just dropped and go, you know what? You're wrong, girl. And uh, they're right. The law does say. You're supposed to die. But he doesn't do that. See, what the Pharisees were doing was they wanted to kill her. They wanted her to be dead. Jesus already knew she was. She's never truly lived. And a live person knows that they don't have to give their body just to anybody else because they know they're living for something greater. And a live person knows that they're too valuable just to let some man who is not committed to his spouse to be into my bed. And a live person knows that I got a destiny and a calling and God's got something great for me. Jesus already knew she was dead. So if we stone her, nothing changes for her. But what if I offer her something different? What if instead of offering her rock, I offered her relief? And that's what Jesus did. He says, guess what? I'm going to relieve you of this penalty, and I'm going to relieve you of your shame so you can finally be the woman that I always saw you could be. Go and sin no more. Come on, girl, you're better than this. That's a huge call in your life. You're created for something more. I'm not here to condemn you. Just, just get up. Just live your life the way it was supposed to. Go and sin no more. Somebody like, well, I don't like that. Well, let me show you a scripture. 
Luke chapter 6, verse 28. This is scripture. You probably read it before. You just never read it like this. But it says this. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. Now, this is backwards of our culture. Like, this is hard to do. This isn't an easy thing. But this is a cultural way of living. Bless those who curse you and pray for those that hurt you. This doesn't look like Facebook. And it's probably because you've got your face in the wrong book. If you got to the right book, you would realize that that's not how the church is supposed to act. We're not supposed to just bash people that we have no concept and relationship with. We're supposed to bless those that curse us and pray for those that hurt us. So when people talk bad about us, we don't throw rocks at them. We pray for God to do something in their heart because hurt people hurt people. We realize that this battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual principalities. And I realize that people are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy so I have to make sure my rocks get thrown in the right direction. This is our response as the body of Christ. We don't fight the same way. We don't fight the same way. We have a different approach. Bible says this in another verse. It says in Proverbs 12, 18, the words of thoughtless people cut like swords, but the tongue of wise people bring healing. Let me just propose to you that maybe what you're saying via text messages and emails and side conversations, even though you're right, it could be adding more salt to the wounds. It could be doing more damage. It's not offering relief. It's not refreshing. You're chucking more wood on the fire instead of putting cooling water to put the fire out. So, so this is what I get every single time. Every single time I preach messages like this, I have family members. I have people who are friends with people, and they'll say things like, my sister, she's a drug addict and you know I've been telling her and she you know this and this and this or my son or my mom my dad my dad's like this and the question I always want to propose back to the person is do they know you love them more than they know you think what they're doing is wrong when they think of you do they think of you as someone who thinks I'm living wrong or do they think of you as someone who loves me in spite of my wrong Because most people, for instance, if you had a daughter who was sleeping around and you raised her in church, if you're not careful, the only thing she'll know about you is the mom who judges every decision I make. Instead of the mom who's loving me through my mess. Because that's what Jesus does. He looks at your ugly, sinful, wrong self and he goes, and I'm just in love with you. He says, I'm proud of you. How are you proud of me? Because I'm proud of you because I don't see you the way you see you. I see you the way I see my son. And when I see my son, I'm pleased of him. So guess what? I'm proud of you. I'm going to speak to your potential. I'm going to call out the good in you. I'm going to help you be who you're supposed to be. I'm not going to remind you. See, the enemy is a reminder of your past. But God is always the reminder of your future. And the moment we keep pointing at the wrongs of people, we are falling into the enemy's trap of pointing out all the things to bring shame and condemnation. The Bible says in John 3, 17, which is not a verse we like to quote to much that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world but through him the world would be saved it says in the message translation that he didn't come to point a finger but to lend some help are you a finger pointer or a help lender that's what the Pharisees were doing they were pointing fingers ooh she wrong ooh she did this ooh that ain't right ooh that ain't right and Jesus goes I'm not here to condemn you Get up. You're better than this. We don't throw rocks. We throw 
relief. Here's what I've learned because a lot of people, they struggle with this, but what I've learned is your opinion doesn't matter. Really, at the end of the day, your opinion really doesn't matter. It doesn't mean don't have an opinion. It doesn't mean don't form an opinion. I think we should all form opinions. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really add value to the situation. Your opinion really doesn't matter. So, like, if things are happening at your work and you got an opinion about it, newsflash, your work is not going to change because of your opinion. Like, we think, like, okay, I got an opinion. I can't believe that uh, uh, the president, and this wouldn't just be the current president. This would be any president, right? Any president that's in presidency, they're going to make decisions that you're not going to agree with. And we think in our current day, you know what? You know what? I don't agree with that. I'm going to let the world know on social media. So I'm going to get on Facebook, and I'm going to post this thing to my five friends. <laughs> and I'm going to hope that it gets to the president somehow. Like, he's going to read my Facebook. It's going to get shared, and he's going to read it. And when he reads it, he's going to be like, okay. I'm going to change my mind. That girl in Coeur d'Alene, you're right. <laughs> That's not happening. Your opinion is not going to change the president. Like, let, let, let practice. Like, right now, some of you have an opinion about what I'm preaching. You don't like it. Guess what? I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to preach this no matter what. You're going to hear it on the way out. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. But the bottom line is that it's not going to change what I'm delivering right now. And what I'm saying could be wrong. It could be wrong. It could be drastically wrong. But that's why Jesus says your opinion doesn't matter, but your position does. Because when they ask him his opinion, he does this. He doesn't give it. He changes his posture. And he gets down to his knees. And this is a position of prayer. This is a position of surrender. This is a position in saying... God holds all authority. And so what I found out is when people have wronged me, when things are going that are out of my control, that I have opinions about, the world keeps asking me, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? And this stance appears to be the weaker stance because, oh, you're not going to stand up. You're not going to say, you're not going to tell us. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. They want me just to Stand up and be real loud and boisterous because that looks like the more powerful. You know, I'm going to make a statement on the NFL. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand for the, for the flag. I'm just going to kneel. You know what? I'm just going to do this. I'm going to boycott. I'm just going to do this. I'm going to hashtag and I'm going to do this. And all these things, they're, they're effortless, really. Because they don't bring real change. And Jesus knew that. So he says, you know what? I'm going to, I am going to say something but it's not going to be to you. It's going to be to someone who can bring all the change. See, when I get here, I can't change the president, but I can talk to God who can get to the president's heart. When I get here, I can't change the heart of a racist person, but I can get to God, and God can actually eradicate that out of somebody. Uh, I can't change what's happening in our church, but I can take this thing to God, and if our pastor or that guy is preaching something that's contrary to the word of God, God will deal with that because all authority is appointed by him. So guess what? If what I'm preaching is wrong and you disagree with it, please pray for me. Take it to God, and if God wants me to shut up, he will shut me up. He will remove the microphone from my hand, but, but what we got do is we got to take our complaints to the right place and so some of us here's what I learned about Jesus Jesus down there he's writing in the sand and uh they're asking him what do you say they keep demanding what he's saying he's probably like gathering his thoughts I particularly think there are all kinds of these uh theological debates about what Jesus is writing in the sand and what he's doing I don't know what he's doing but I just think he's just like Lord help me 
help me to do something that helps this lady. Because I know you love her. So help me make the right decision. Not the one I feel on my emotions. Not the one that they want me to make. But I want to be aligned with your will. And so Jesus took time to take a posture of prayer. He prayed before he said. I think you need to pray before you say. Before you talk about your son, before you talk about your sibling, before you talk about the government, I think you need to get the heart of God before you ever try to be the voice of God. Because many of you are talking on God's behalf, and that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that. If we're not careful, we're saying things that God's not saying. So before you post about it, pray about it. Go to his, the Bible says this famous verse, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways. Did you notice that it doesn't say if my people who are called by my name will tell the other people to turn from their wicked ways? He says, no, no, I'll deal with them. You deal with you. That's what Jesus was essentially doing to those Pharisees. Turn from your wicked ways. Put the rock down. Deal with your rock, not this woman's rock. I'll deal with the woman. You deal with you. And what happens is this function in the world because the church has forgot the art that we take things to God. We don't take things to social media. Social media is not God. Social media is, if God thought social media would be the platform to bring the salvation to the world, he would have brought through Jesus through social media. But he's building the local church, and the church is the ecclesia, the called out ones. We do things differently, which means we take this stuff to God, and we turn from our wicked ways. God, weed out anything in me that's not like you. And the Bible says that if we do that, that he will come and he will heal our land. The healing of our land rests on us taking our stuff to God and dealing with our wickedness, not the world's. But too many times, we want to deal with everyone else except us. So what do we do? Here's what I've learned. That it's hard to throw a rock when you're standing on one. There's an old hymn, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. See, standing on that rock says God's in control. Standing on that rock says God's my vindicator. Standing on that rock, it says God is going to rescue my son. Standing on that rock says God is going to redeem my family. Standing on that rock says, you know what, God, you're going to, you're going to speak to my husband. Standing on that rock says, you know what, I know that promotion doesn't come from the north, the south, the east, or the west. Promotion comes from the Lord. So even though I didn't get the promotion at work that I thought I should get, that I really deserved, I don't have to walk through that door because, God, you got another door that you're going to open up for me. See, standing on the rock doesn't have times to throw rocks but the moment we step off and we doubt God's supreme authority and we doubt God sees what's going on and we doubt God sees what people said about us and we doubt God saw how they treated us and we doubt how God doesn't see what I'm going through in my finances and God doesn't see how they're treating me unfair at the job and God doesn't see how I'm being marginalized because of my gender and God doesn't see how I've been treated because of my color. When we start to doubt God, then we take the rock and we say, I'm going to deal with this because God ain't dealing with it. And I've just learned in my life that when I just stay on the rock, God deals with it better than I can. 
When I just stay on the rock, okay, God, okay, I'm going to bless those that curse me. I'm going to pray for those that hurt me because I trust God you're in control. I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know what it's going to look like. But, God, I'm not moving my post. I'm going to stand on your word. I'm going to stand on your authority. I know you're going to work all things together for my good because I love you and I'm, accord- and I'm called according to your purposes. I'm not wavering. I'm not moving. God, I'm just going to stay stuck on the rock. I'm going to stay stuck on the rock. You know, those people, they were expecting a rock to get thrown. And here's what I discovered as I was really studying this, this, this verse, this, this chapter, is that God literally threw a rock so you and I don't have to. God says, hey, church, you can, you can release the rocks out of your hands. I got good news for you. I'm going to throw a rock. That's going to be one rock for all time. You're never going to have to throw a rock again. See, Jesus was there, and he was with this woman, and these guys were like, hey, the law says she deserves to get a rock to her face. She deserves to get stoned. They had the rocks in her hand. What they did not know, that the man that was standing in front of them was the chief cornerstone. What they did not know was the rock of salvation was right in front of them. What they did not know was a solid rock that the church would get built on was standing in front of them. And what God was saying through this, through this story was, hey, church, guess what? You don't have to throw a rock. I sent a rock in the form of my son. You thought it was going to bring damage, but it's actually going to bring relief. You thought it was going to bring death, but it's actually going to bring life. The rock that I have is going to provide salvation. It's going to provide redemption. It's going to provide redemption. It's going to provide grace and mercy and life abundance. You wanted a rock? Good news. I'm sending one. His name is Jesus. You'll know him as Emmanuel. You'll know him as God here with us. You'll know him as the grace and mercy described in Luke 15 through the prodigal son story. You will know him as as God with flesh on. Fully God. Fully man. You will see his deity. He will be born of a virgin. He will live approximately 33 years. He will die for all sin. Yesterday's sin, today's sin, and tomorrow's sin. And his love and mercy is so good that it will cover everyone, including this woman that you caught in the act. She's going to get the rock. Well, is it, she deserves to die. She is going to die. She's going to die through me. Well, doesn't she deserve some penalty? She is going to get the penalty, but I'm going to take the whips on my back, and I'm going to take the rocks chucked at me while I'm walking, carrying a cross on my shoulders, and I'm going to take the spit in the face, and I'm going to take the thorn in the brow, and I'm going to take the nails in the hands, and I'm going to take the nails in the feet. I'm going to take all of that. She is going to get what's coming to her, but it's going to come through me. In exchange for what I'm going to take from her, I'm going to trade beauty for ashes. I'm going to trade life for death. I'm I'm going to trade forgiveness for penalty of sin. I'm going to pay the ransom. I'm the rock. So we don't have to throw rocks at gay people. We don't have to throw rocks at people who have abortions. We don't have to throw rocks at drug addicts and people who commit crimes. We don't have to throw rocks at people who are racist. And we don't have to throw rocks at people who do things that are outside of our comfort. Because God said, I threw a rock for you. Why are you throwing a rock at them? I'm the rock. Throw the same rock. Throw relief. Throw Jesus. Throw grace. Throw mercy. Throw love. Throw forgiveness. The same rock I threw at you. Take that rock and throw it at them. So I got good news. You know what that means? We can put the rocks down. We can put the rocks down. 
there's many of you today, if you're really honest, you've had rocks, you had rocks, you've been throwing rocks, you've been throwing rocks at politicians, you've been throwing rocks at people, you've been throwing rocks at people who live lifestyles that are outside your comfort, you've been throwing rocks. Yes, what they're doing is wrong, but throwing a rock doesn't make it right. Let me say it like this, throwing a rock will make you feel good, but it won't do good. You can throw it, boom, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind, boom, it's going to make you feel good, but it's not going to do good. Let me give you a practical example. So I've realized in my life there are times where I want to throw rocks, where I've been hurt, where I've been wronged, where I've been offended, when, when things have happened to my life that they were in the wrong. And it's hard to bite your tongue. It's hard to be swift to listen and slow to speak when things are being blasted at you. But I felt like one time there was this family in our church. They had left our church and they had came to our church broken, a hot mess, addicted, uh, felons, and their marriage was a disaster. And they came to our church and uh, we loved them. God started restoring their marriage and uh, they ended up getting good jobs and uh, ended up being risen up to leadership and um, all their stuff, their past started to, 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 God started restoring and reclaiming all the things that had happened in the family. And then lo and behold, just because certain events, eventually, sometimes, we don't get to dictate it, but, but people make decisions in their life and every now and then a family will go, you know what, we're just going to change to a different church. At least that's what they say they're going to do. And every time that happens as a pastor, it hurts me because I care deeply for the people that attend together church. And so, you know, when they leave, it sounds like, oh, God's leading us somewhere else. But that's really not the story. The story is they're mad. They're offended. Something didn't go their way. They're bitter. They have something. And they don't tell you, but they tell like 50 other people. And those people typically leave with that same group or they stay in your church and give you mean eyes every single weekend. Mean eyes. And they stop giving, and they give you mean eyes. And, uh, you know, really what happens, there's a story that we often can't share because we're trying to cover those individuals. We're trying to protect those individuals. And, you know, in these, these cases, the individuals, they started doing drugs again, so we had to remove them from leadership, and we tried to get them into treatment and try to restore their marriage, and we wanted to work through them, but when they don't want to do it that way, they don't want the help, then we have to say, okay, if you want to keep doing that, then you, you can't serve in this position. So they go to another church that will let them serve, and they can still have their hang-up and never deal with their issue. But when they leave, they say, that church doesn't love us, that pastor doesn't love us. Not, they're not saying that pastor was going to pay for our treatment. They're not saying our pastor was going to pay for our counseling. They're not saying that our pastor cried with us and tried to pray for us and get us through. They're not saying that. So here I am. I got my 140 characters. And you know, I'm going to let the world know. Because I'm sick of them lying about me. I'm sick of them saying hateful things about my family. I'm going to tell them the truth. Everyone's going to know the reason why you left is because you had an addiction problem. It had nothing to do with us. It had everything to do with you. And I got my rock. It's a big, jaggedy, chippity rock. And I'm like, ooh, I'm about to throw this one. Vengeance is mine. I'm about to get these people. And I get ready to type it. And God says, Mekon, put the rock down. But if I put the rock down, God, then all these people are going to believe the lie that they're saying. Mekon, put the rock down. And what I felt like the Lord told me is you could throw the rock, but what if that rock keeps him out of the kingdom? What if by you throwing that rock is a thing that makes him say, I'm never going to a church ever again. I'm never going to a church ever again. Can I submit to you that maybe the rocks that you're throwing are actually keeping people out instead of bringing people in? It would have kept people out of the kingdom. 
And so I put the rock down, and lo and behold, several months later, guess what happens? That family ended up coming back to church. And guess what I'm able to do? I'm able to hug them because I don't have rocks in my hands. I'm able to forgive them because I don't have rocks in my hands. I'm able to see their marriage get restored again because I don't have rocks in my hands. I'm able to see them serve and volunteer again because they don't have rocks in my hands. The truth is, church, we can do a lot of things that are rock throwing. We can stand outside of abortion clinics, make some big, huge uh, signs that show what a baby looks like when they're aborted, and we can say, hey, you're going to hell. This is murder. Turn before you burn. And guess what? We would be 100% right. Everything that we're saying would be 100% right, but it would be 100% wrong. Because we don't know what's going through the backdrop of that story. We're not, we're not saying that what there's happening is right, but, but the doctors inside the building performing that. We don't know what they're going through. And let's just say six months, eight months, a doctor that works at one of those clinics says, man, what I've been doing is wrong. God starts giving conviction. And then he goes, you know what? I want to go to heart of the city. Or the 13-year-old girl that walked into that building because she was confused by what her parents and her boyfriend and people were telling her. And then so she had the abortion, and here she is. She's 22 years old now, and now conviction sets in. And she's like, man, I really need some help. So she says, I need to go to Heart of the City. And then she walks up to Heart of the City, and guess who she sees? The same person that was picketing her at the abortion clinic, standing at the door with a smile, going, welcome to Heart of the City. You know what she's going to say? I ain't going here. Because they throw rocks. They don't throw relief. I guess what I'm saying is for you to think your actions through. Some of your co-workers, some of the people that you're talking about, some of the, like we could say things about politicians. What if they showed up here next week? I really don't like that this person disgusts me. He gets on my last nerves. The way he talks about people, you know, screw Donald Trump. Then Donald Trump just happens to make a guest appearance. What are you going to say to him? Leave? Or are you going to say, man, Donald Trump, I really hope that God wraps his loving arms around you. But wait a minute. Then he reads your Facebook. He goes, you think I want to be like you? You're just talking bad about me. Now you want to be my friend? No. That's not our God. Our God doesn't talk bad about us. Our God loves us. The Bible says in Romans that while we were enemies of God, he sent his son to reconcile us back to the Father. While we were spitting things, when we were shouting crucify him, our Savior was not saying you're wrong and going to hell. He was saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Our God is a relief-throwing God, and we're supposed to be a relief-throwing church. Put the rocks down. Put the rocks down. That's not the example of our Jesus. That's not the example of our God. We pray for people struggling with sin. We pray for people that don't live like us. We bless those that curse us. We pray for those that hurt us. We don't throw stones. We don't throw rocks. We throw relief. We throw grace. We throw mercy. We throw forgiveness. We throw opportunity. We throw salvation. That's what we do. That's what we do. Because that's what God did for us. That's what God did for us. We throw salvation. Everyone standing to your feet across the whole auditorium. Everyone standing to your feet. Just want to pray for you before we dismiss.
Every eye closed, every head bowed. God, help us. God, help us to put the rocks down. God, help whatever we throw be relief to people around us. Let our words bring healing. Let our words include. Let our word bring people to a level of relationship with you. Let us never be a barrier. Let us never be a hindrance in someone's development as a relationship with you. God, let us be peacemakers. Let us be known for how much we love one another. God, help us to put the rocks down. God, help us to deal with our hurt. God, we're wounded. What they did was wrong, and we're not denying that. We're not making excuses for their decisions. But we're not responsible for how people treat us, but we are responsible for how we treat them. God, help us. And secondly, with every eye closed and every head bowed, maybe you're here today, and maybe you felt like God's got a rock aimed at you. That some of your decisions, some of the things that you've done, from your past when you were a little girl or a little boy or maybe something you did last year or maybe even something you did last night that you thought God had a rock aimed at you, that he just wants to take you out, that he must be so mad at you, that he must not, why would he ever love someone like me? Because I've done some things that I wish I could take back. Why? I've wasted time. I've hurt people. I've hurt myself. But I want to tell you today with every eye closed and every head bowed that yes, he's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. That this God, he does have a rock aimed at you, but it's not meant to destroy you. That rock that he got aimed at you is wrapped in mercy, it's wrapped in love, and it's to give you life and to give you a life you never even dreamt possible. He's not here to condemn you, to point out your sins and your faults. He's here to show you that there's a better way. And he's so committed to you that when you accept this invitation of him being Lord and Savior, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll walk this thing out with you every day. The days you get it wrong and the days you get it right, he's going to walk this thing out with you. He's going to ensure that the work that he's starting in you today will be finished, that he'll finish it. He's going to stand by your side through the thick and the thin, helping you be the man or woman he always dreamt that you would be. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, please pray for me because today... I want to accept that invitation. I need Jesus to come into my life. I'm not going to leave here without him. I'm going to make him a vital part. He's going to be Lord and Savior. He's going to take over. I'm going to give him full access. I'm not going to hide anything from him anymore. I need him. And not only do I need him, I want him. So I really don't care if people see or who knows. I, I'm past that today. I've just determined it's not the music, it's not the message. God is simply speaking to me. You may have been avoiding it for quite some time, for several weeks, for several years. There's many of you who've came to church many years, but you never took the church with you. You never take Jesus with you. And today everything's going to change. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, please pray for me because I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I'm offering my life to him. I'm dedicating my life to him. If that's you, will you do me a favor? Will you lift your hand high in the air right now all across this auditorium? You're saying, that's me. High in the air. Yep, there's hands over there. Hands over here. Hands over here. Hands over here. Yep. Couples with hands in the air. Yeah. Hands over here in the back. Anybody else? Hand over here. You're saying, that's me. That's definitely me. Yep, there's another one. Anybody else? Yep, I see it back there. I see you. Yeah, I see you. Anybody else? Yeah, I see you. Tons of hands. Anybody else? You're just saying, that's me. I definitely, I need to make this decision. This is, yeah, I see you over there. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, anybody else? Just, this is a bold decision. I'm just asking you just lift your hand. I just want to know who I'm praying for today. Anybody else just saying that's absolutely, yep, there's another one. Anybody else? Just pausing just for a moment. Yep, there's another one. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead and put your hands down. Let me pray for you. Father God, I pray for every single person who lifted their hand today. God, I pray that today they start a new relationship with you. That today the old is past, the new has come. God, I pray for a fresh start. God, I pray they get planted in a local church. God, I pray they'd find family and they'd find freedom. God, I'm believing for a new beginning, that today starts a new beginning to the best days of their life. In Jesus' name. Church, would you repeat this prayer after me? Especially those of you who lifted your hands and they say, Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me my sin. Help me to live for you and to love you all the days of my life. Today I'm new. Today I'm changed. Today I'm forgiven. Today I'm free. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Would you do me a favor and give a round of applause for all those people who gave their life to Jesus? Come on, let's lift up our voice today. Come on, that's someone's son, that's someone.